Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Today, we are going to take a look at tax strategies that every one of us as real estate investors should know about. And with us today is Larry D. West III, who is the founder of Precision Business Strategies. He helps real estate investors and business owners develop timely and accurate financial insights to make better business and tax decisions. And Larry is also the host of the Strategic Room podcast. So, Larry, tell us about a memorable experience that brought you to where you are today. You know, that, that's a, a really good question. The thing that comes to mind is really high school. My sophomore year, I transferred to a new high school after I got into some trouble at a, at a previous school that I was at. And I met a teacher. His name was Thomas Wild, Riverside High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he was the head of the student council over at Riverside. And somehow, one way or another, I got dropped into his, to his classroom, into his homeroom classroom. And he took me under his wing. And for the first six months, I said not a word. I didn't respond to anything. I was very, very recluse. But Mr. Wild, to his credit, did not, I don't know what he saw, he saw some type of potential and he didn't give up on me. And he kind of pushed me to get into an uncomfortable space, right? And and kind of leave what I knew as comfort and really take on some leadership roles within the school. So that kind of pushed me into this student council space. But what it really did was change my perspective and my trajectory on, on life. Everything up until that point was very siloed. Everything up until that point was very singular. And I was all about self. But working with Mr. Wild and, and, and the skill set that he pulled out of me from there really put me on a path towards understanding different perspectives in life, also wanting more out of life than simply just going to work and then coming home and, and taking off the shoes and hanging up the coat. So that experience, just meeting him, going through that leadership training, getting involved with counsel, but also just having someone coach me at that young age and coach me on life, not how to pass math, not biology, not how to graduate top of class, right, and get ready for college, but just life at that age of 15, 16 years old has been a profound impact. And so every chance I'd like to give him Mr. Wild is his flowers. Well, that just is a great illustration of really the importance of mentors and coaches in our life. And of course, the earlier they come into our lives, the better it is for us. And I think you were very fortunate to find that really important person at uh, your sophomore year in high school. So. Very fortunate meeting there, I'm sure. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, Larry, take us into the accounting and tax aspects of the show and talk to us about tax planning as it being how crucial it is and how different really tax planning is beyond just depreciation. Real estate investors are always all about depreciation, but tax planning is much more than that. So tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and this may be many investors' initial experience is that you go about life, whether you have a business, you, you have a job, you do investments in different spaces, but essentially you don't worry about taxes until tax time comes up. And maybe you're thinking about it throughout the year, but many of us aren't having conversations with our accountants or, C or CPAs more than once or twice a year around tax time. And so when, when you think about the idea of planning, it, it gets rid of that component of, hey, 
this is what you should have, would have, or could have done, but now it's too late. We're filing the tax return. So here's your large bill that you have to deal with. But from a planning perspective, it's really getting proactive and getting ahead of the solution. And for us as investors, it's sitting down and saying, hey, we need to have perhaps two or three meetings throughout the year, maybe even four meetings throughout the year with our accountant and CPA and sharing with them the ideas and strategies around our investment philosophy. Are we acquiring single family? Are we going multifamily? What does it mean when you go into commercial triple net? Are we doing development or perhaps even just going into other investment spaces? Because then you can get ideas and strategies on how to structure those things in a very tax efficient way. Moreover, in which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later down, down the line in the show, how do you exit these different investments in a very tax efficient way? That way you're ahead of the curve, you know exactly what to expect, and you can make changes before April 15th, before you have a large tax bill that you can virtually do nothing about. So tax planning should be at the forefront of every investor's mind and having those conversations with their accountant and CPA a couple of times throughout the year will help mitigate tax. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I certainly am guilty of waiting until January to really start worrying about a lot of taxes here. Well, Larry, what what is this acronym R-E-P-S? Yeah, so R-E-P-S, real estate professional status. And that's a hot button topic, especially in the real estate community, because it is one of the unique ways that the IRS allows losses that are generated from passive real estate investments to potentially offset what we call active income. And so there there are generally only two ways that you can do that because real estate initially is considered passive. Even for those of us that may be hands-on landlords that are actually, you know, vetting tenants and and, uh, changing doorknobs and, and, you know, fixing windows and things like that, depending on the amount of activity, you still may not be considered a real estate professional to take advantage of these rules. There are three things to keep in mind here. One, more than 50% of your time has to be in, in, in the real estate space, what they call real property trade or business. The second part is over 750 hours have to be done in the real estate or real property trade or business. And then the last part is what we call material participation. You have to materially participate in your rental real estate portfolio. When you can check the box on all those things, it opens the door from the losses, i.e. the depreciation, cost segregation studies, and things like that that we've all heard of. Those losses can possibly flow through and offset W-2 income, other business income. But for most folks, especially as they're just jumping into the real estate space, that first rule that I mentioned is a huge barrier, more than 50% of your time. If you've got a full-time job or you have a significant role in, in your business or something other like, it's unlikely that more than half your time is going to be dedicated to real estate. And so one of the unique things to look at is, does your spouse have the time to qualify as a real estate professional? Because if you file a joint return, that could potentially be a strategy that allows you to, again, use the depreciable losses, the paper losses, we should say, from real estate to offset active income. That could be a powerful wealth building and tax planning strategy. Well, what is the short-term rental loophole? Great question. And a lot of folks may have seen this with the rise in popularity of the different short-term rental platforms, Verbo, Airbnb, Booking.com, and the like. But essentially... Those passive rules that I just talked about that initially limit most folks from qualifying for real estate professional status, when you go into the short-term rental space, if the average stay of your clientele, the average stay of your guests is seven days or less, and you materially participate, meaning taking an active role in managing the short-term rental business, those passive loss rules may not apply to you. So you may not have to check all the boxes that I just talked about previously for 
real estate professional status. Average stay, seven days or less, materially participate. And then, of course, you have to own the property. If there are any losses that are generated from that short-term rental operation, then those losses could possibly flow through not be passive and offset your active income. Now, timing is important when you look at the short-term rental side of things because we know short-term rental is likely going to be a cash flow machine. You're able to generate a lot more rental revenue than you are with long-term rental most of the time. So when you think about timing, especially end of year, perhaps the last six months, the last quarter of the year, if you're able to acquire a property at at a pretty decent purchase price, take some time to get it ready for your operations, Make sure that it's available for use before the end of the year. There isn't a ton of revenue that will be generated. Perhaps not. Maybe there will be. But in most cases, not a ton of revenue in those last couple of months. However, you have this massive amount of accelerated depreciation from a cost segregation study possibly that you can use to create a huge loss. The short-term rental operation checks those boxes that we just talked about, and that could be a way to offset your active income as well. Now, of course, all these situations are different. Some small nuances in there. That's a great strategy to consider if you own a property and you operate short-term rentals. Okay. Well, that all sounds really good and excellent. What is it that we're talking about when you're talking about tax-efficient exit strategies? Yes. And so as investors, of course, we acquire properties. Some of us acquire and do the, the value-add model or perhaps what they call the Burr model where you update the property, put some money into it, improve its value and its appreciation. Perhaps you cash out, you grab, you do a refi and you grab a little bit of cash out of there. But at some point, you may consider selling that property. And when you do so, you have all kinds of opportunities to do so in a tax efficient way. You know, they, they say you make your money when you buy. That's a, a, a common idea in the real estate community. Well, you really hold on to your money or save your money when you sell and you do so tax efficiently. So a couple of those to consider. One, and perhaps the most famous one, a 1031 exchange. This is also called a like-kind exchange. Essentially, you have a property that you purchased that you've operated as a business property, as a rental property, and the point that you're ready to sell it, you make that sale, and within a certain time frame, you have to acquire a new property or properties, one or plural, that are of greater or equal value to what you sold. If you execute that transaction, in the time frame that they allot, and you follow all the rules like a higher value property, then you pay no capital gains tax or you defer rather capital gains tax on the property you just sold. And so when you think about that as a multi-generational, multi-wealth building strategy, one house that's 250000 perhaps over the life of ownership, appreciates to 500000 You sell that, that 500000 now allows you to go purchase a $750 million property. Cash flow has expanded. We still have the same tax efficiency in terms of the cash flow that we're pulling in, but now we have a higher value property. Rents and repeat all over again. And so you kind of hear this moniker of, of exchange, 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 die. Because that means you can continue to do these 1031 exchanges, selling properties, not paying capital gains tax, expanding the value of your portfolio, and then that can be passed down to the next generation in a very tax efficient way. So 1031 is always going to be top of mind for consideration. However, it's not the only thing. Two others to potentially consider are what's called a deferred sales trust. If you have a highly appreciated property, meaning you pay little to nothing for it, your basis is really small, but man, the value on it is is humongous. And if you sold it, that would be a pretty nice tax bill. You can look at a deferred sales trust that allows you to do some iteration of an installment sale. You essentially break up the proceeds over years and you only pay taxes on the amount that you receive. 
Now, I had oversimplified how that structure works, but it, it could be a very powerful tool and strategy to look at. And then, of course, you have to consider buying a property, doing a cost segregation study to create massive depreciation and allowing the losses from that new acquisition to offset the gain from what you sold. Regardless of what your strategy is, the key here is hold on to ownership, hold on to an asset. The moment you sell something, real estate or anything else, and you take the money and run, you've got a tax bill waiting for you. But when you can find unique ways to reinvest, some of which we just talked about, that's when you can level up your portfolio, grow the value of it, again, create a really powerful generational wealth tool and pay little to no taxes on that growth over time. So those are just a couple of the tax efficient exit strategies and there are a number more. And that's why it's important to have these conversations throughout the year as opposed to saying, hey, I just did this thing. Can you help me fix it? Lauren, let's unpack these just a tad bit on the 1031 exchange. You can continuously roll that over with exchange, exchange after exchange after exchange. So my question is, so you've done three of these and you've deferred taxes on three different sales and you come to your fourth sale and you intend to do a 1031 exchange, but there's a lot of stringent rules around 1031 exchanges. So you have everything all set up and everything everything falls apart at the last minute and you have to purchase a property and you can't do the 1031 exchange on that. So are all of those, so you're going to be paying taxes then on all three of those previous sales? Is that what's going to happen? Well, you won't necessarily pay tax on all three of those previous sales, but your basis in your new property is going to be so small that your tax bill from the current sale will be a lot higher than if someone had not done those exchanges and, and, and acquired that property. So you, you do face pretty, you could potentially face, I should say, a pretty significant tax bill. But if the 1031 exchange falls apart, you still have options. You could consider what's called a Delaware statutory trust, right? And that's a great alternative to a 1031 exchange because it's still like-kind property that you take direct ownership of. So if the 1031 falls apart, you could roll those proceeds to a Delaware statutory trust that it has a bunch of underlying assets. A lot of them are commercial real estate properties. And you take a piece of ownership in that particular trust. And that may save you from the tax bite that comes with the 1031 exchange. It's an already performing asset that has cash flow. And you, know, you can vet and underwrite these the way you normally would. But if the 1031 falls apart, that's a great thing to possibly plug in to save the tax bill. Or the other side of it is, Take those proceeds, acquire more assets, and use the new depreciation to help offset that gain. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Deferred Sales Trust and just give some more detail on how that functions and works. Yeah. So th this, is a, this is a unique tool that uses both tax law and trust law together. So essentially, uh, and I'm going to use the property as an example, but this could be used if you have a business or any type of asset. So I have a property that I'm going to sell. Before executing that sale, we know what, the, we know what that price is going to be. I'm going to sell it to the trust that that's been created. The trust doesn't immediately give me any money back. It has a note due to me. It, it now owes me this money. Because I haven't constructively received any proceeds, there's no tax to pay until I receive that money. The trust, having bought that property for me, let's call it a $500,000 sale. It bought it for me from five hundred, dollars so now it owes me five. dollars It then turns around and sells it to the end buyer for $500,000. And so the buyer then remits those proceeds to the trust. All of a sudden, the trust now has money to pay me what it owes me. But we've set up an arrangement. We've set up an installment over time. And so instead of taking the entire $500,000 to myself in year one, 
and paying a huge tax, I've elected to just take 100000 a year, as an example, over five years. So now I pay my proportionate share of capital gains tax on 100 year one, 100 year two, 100 year three, and so on. And, and that's how you can break up the tax impact. But while the money sits inside of that specific trust, it can be used to generate additional returns. And so it does not have to sit there stagnant. We're in an inflationary environment right now. So we know the erosion of the dollar that happens if it sits there and it's not earning anything. So that trust can go out and make other investments to continue to grow that pot over time. So the money isn't necessarily stagnant. But what I've done is I've been able to save in year one, whatever the tax impact would have been on that additional 400,000 and continue to grow that pot. I've only paid taxes on 100. Year two, the same thing all the way until it's been paid out. Well, that is an interesting strategy. And could you go ahead and go through with a deferred sales trust if your 1031 exchange falls through? Or is this something that has to be done at the onset of the contract? Well, ideally, it would be done at the onset of the contract. But it potentially could be a great alternative if the 1031 falls apart. Perhaps the, actually, let let me say it this way. Before the sale is executed, you'll want to have this trust side of things set up. Because again, the asset has to go into the trust first before it's sold. That way, the entire thing works as we just described a moment ago. But assuming you can't find any good deals and execute the 1031, assuming you've run out of all other options, and if it's a highly appreciated piece of property, I think it's it's one to, to consider, on, uh, especially at the onset. Well, good ideas. Thank you for sharing those, Larry. Tell us, is that, that we can get in touch with you and what is it that you have to offer? Yep, absolutely. So the, the way, of course, is to visit our website, which is pb, like peanut butter, pb-strategies.com. There's a nice big blue button that says become a client. We can sit down and have a discovery call We essentially want to know all the different things that you have going on, the different ways that your household generates money. And then we start to hammer out a tax plan to see if there's a more efficient way of doing so. And so one of the primary things we offer is tax planning. Just as I as I described, get a very good idea of, you know, primarily W-2 earners. Are we do we have businesses? Do we have alternative investments? And then we start to pull things together in a way that's very tax efficient. Some of that is going to be, hey, this year. These are the things we need to do. Could be very basic. Let's max out our retirement account if we if we can and we have the cash flow. Let's look at, you know, maxing out our, our HSAs if we have businesses, making sure we take advantage of every deduction possible and, and all these unique things on into more advanced planning of, hey, it's time to start looking at your estate and doing some more advanced planning there so that we're planning for future tax as opposed to just today. So we run that tax strategy for today tomorrow and the uh, and the future generation. And then, of course, our firm also offers accounting services. Well, Larry, one last question here, and that is, why is it you say that our books are the key to effective tax and financial planning? And give us some tips on really how to get our books in order. Yes, yes. So whenever you're operating a business, and even if you own one rental property, let alone hundreds of rental properties, you're still operating a business, however small or, or, or large. Absent a good set of books, you have literally no good data, no good financial data to make effective decisions. When we sit down and look at tax planning, especially for our business owners, we need to see the performance of the business. Because if there's not any profitability there or if the books aren't reflecting accurate information, the strategies we put together may not work or may be completely useless. And so it's that, it's that old adage, garbage in, garbage out. We don't have good data coming in can't give you good data on the other side. And so accurate financial books are going to be the key to laying the foundation for the plan. And even if we're primarily W-2 earners, 
it's still having an accurate picture of all the financials in terms of how you're making money and where you're spending your money or your investments that'll allow us to put together a more efficient strategy. Well, sounds very good. So Larry, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Excellent. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.